Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to the world of software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Testers Island Discs, where today I'm going to be talking to Paul Grisavi. Paul has been creating automation strategies, tools, and frameworks since the 1990s, and is currently a principal automation architect with Magenic in Dallas, Texas. He's held positions on several industry advisory boards, including a multi-year tenure with STPCon, where he helps to shape the automation track at their events. And on his Twitter bio, he describes himself as an asker of uncomfortable questions. Well, that's my job today, Paul. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, and I, uh, I have no problem being on the other side of the table from that. <laughs> There are many questions that I have after reading your Twitter bio, one of which is that you describe yourself as a software pediatrician. What does that involve? Most of us have heard the old adage that the software developers are the ones who have the baby and the testers are the ones who come in and say, your baby is ugly. And what I prefer <laughs> to think of is I prefer to think of us as the ones who come in and help that newborn software, that fledgling infant software grow up into something that's that's mature, it's strong, it's something that we can deliver to our clients, our users or our, our, our customers so that they can get some value out of it as well. That's a really refreshing view of the testing role. And we're going to talk about roles a bit today, specifically around automation. I almost find it unbelievable that you've been working in automation for literally decades because certainly wherever I've worked, I find companies whose automation infrastructure is extremely immature. Why is it that so many of us take automation for granted, do you think? I think there are a lot of reasons for that and, and it depends on the context and, and the company. A lot of times companies have come with, uh, and th these are sort of my, my observations, I don't have any hard data behind it, but uh, from my observations, a lot of times companies wind up with technology divisions uh, sort of grudgingly, like, mm -hmm. hey, I sell things, and well, Walmart has this web page, so I should probably have a web page too. Oh, wait, Target has, has their, their inventory on their web page. I should have that too. And these things sort of grow piece by piece over time. And then they turn around five or six or 10 years later and go, oh, crap, I have a technology division and I don't know how to manage this. So we're going to throw some technology at the problem and some programming. And then we're going to have automation that's going to save the day and it's going to make testing better. I see that a lot of times. I see other times where people don't treat or organizations don't treat the, uh, the, the automation initiative as a software development initiative. And mm -hmm. they, when they don't do that, a lot of times it will languish. It won't, it won't be as valuable as it should be. And it gets labeled as a failure because we really do need to treat these things as software development initiatives. Yeah, I've certainly worked on project teams where I've had managers who said, oh, now we're entering you know, the automation phase of the project. I've, I've heard that automation is a good thing. Let's do some automation. And the difficult thing then is to have those awkward conversations with your stakeholders and say, well, why? What is it that you're hoping automation is going to solve in the situation? And that really is the, the difficult part of the conversation where what are you expecting out of it? Because typically what, what I've seen is what people are expecting out of it is far more than it can supply simply because the expectations are, are too large. It's just not gonna do those things, or it's not gonna do those things with the level of effort or money that the organization is prepared to put into it. And we'll get into the detail of what automation can and can't do for us after we introduce your first song. So just to remind you listeners what's going on here, Paul is one of our castaways on a desert island. He's been shipwrecked. I don't know what happened to the ship, but I bet the test has got the blame. 
<laughs> You've managed to salvage five songs to take onto the desert island with you. Now, I've had a few people already who've come to me and requested to change one of their songs before we record. You're the first one who's almost overhauled their entire selection. Are you, are you a particularly choosy person? Well, I, th- th- I think that comes from a couple of, of different places. I listen to a lot of music, a lot, a lot of music. I usually have it on when I'm working. I may have it on with the car. in the car. I've got uh, four-year-old twin boys, so we listen to a lot of music of all different kinds. But when I'm listening by myself, it, it's pretty exclusively rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. And I've been dying to sort of blend speaking and testing and automation in with a metal theme and i'm working on a presentation right now for a conference next year that actually has that so what i wanted to do was be able to to use this opportunity to get some of this information out there i wanted to let this podcast have some unique songs and i wanted the the presentation the talk at the conference to have some unique songs as well so i sort of figured out which ones were going to work better in the podcast and which ones were going to work better in the talk so that's when i said hey let's let's change some of these out okay so you're like one of these bands who likes to change their set list around on tour you don't like want to play the same songs every night basically exactly exactly so what's the first song that you brought to us today so the first song is a, a song by a band called Iced Earth. They're an American, you might consider them a power metal band or a traditional heavy metal band, uh, sort of a Metallica meets Iron Maiden type of band. And they put out a record in, ooh, I believe, the early 90s called Something Wicked This Way Comes. And there's a, a song toward the end. There's a three-song trilogy. The middle song is called The Coming Curse. And there's a line from that song that's always appealed to me ever since the first time I heard it. The line is, savior to my own, devil to some. And the way I look at that is, I look at it, and I couch my career in it as well, is when I go into an organization and say, hey, let's help you apply some technology to what you're doing and help you be more effective. The people that really want that to happen consider me an ally, a friend, somebody. They, they cannot wait to start working with me and build something that's going to help them better their lot in life. But anyone who sees that as a threat, uh, they consider me sort of uh, bad. I, I, I'm not doing anything good. I'm wasting time. Uh, we have other problems to, to deal with other than this automation stuff. I actually had someone say that in a meeting once is, uh, we're wasting too much time with this automation stuff. We have too many problems in the field that we need to be finding. <laughs> I'm very rarely speechless, but I was speechless at that moment. <laughs> So that was Iced Earth with The Coming Curse. And before we get into much of a discussion about automation, we can't really avoid a conversation about semantics because these words mean so many different things to different people. When you talk about automation, what what do you mean? The last few years I've been working on my own definition of automation and how I apply uh, that word into, into, into my career and into the people I talk to. But for me, Automation is a judicious application of technology to help humans do their job. 
And in our case, the those humans are testers. So what I like to do is I like to go in, look at what the testers are doing, where they're spending their time, and make some recommendations on, hey, there's a tool that we can apply here, or maybe there's a widget we can create for you here, or here's an opportunity where you can help yourself out by doing these things because I don't have the access, I don't have the skills, I don't have the whatever to make that particular technology uh, solution uh, jump up and down the way it needs to, but perhaps they do. So that's the way I view automation as a, as a force multiplier for testers to just help them be more effective or more efficient at their job. Okay, so for you, it's often a role that sits outside the role of a tester itself. Uh, it can be. I like for the core part, the, the part that's going to be common across teams and, and maybe across different types of, of, of engagements, to be separate and have people who are very experienced with that work at those very lower layers and build the commonality out. But when it comes to actually doing the part where you're going to get the value, that either needs to be a partner type of relationship where, okay, I've, I know how to type the keys to make the, to make the program do the things, but you, you're the domain expert, so you know what needs to be tested and what would be considered a help versus not a help, and we would pair that way. But I really like to empower the teams and deliver tools to them and say, this is the kind of thing you said you wanted. I provided it to you. Now you go and use it the way you see fit. And if you find issues with it, if you find some things you would like to add to it, if you decide that it's it, it wasn't what we needed anyway, then come back and feed that back into me and we'll work through that. So I see it sort of as a, as a living in two worlds where we're part tester and we're part developer. But there's a certain luxury to that. The organization needs to either be big enough that it can handle that, uh, handle those those extra people, or it needs to be sort of a, a rented role where you bring in a consultant like myself or, or, or some of the other ones out there to come in and say, here's what we should do. Let's get you up and going. And then we evac out and then you are you're able to go and 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 be your own force multiplier at that point. It sounds like the role that you're describing is what I heard James Back refer to as a toolsmith. That's a role that I really enjoy doing myself. It's one where yeah, you're building tools to help support the activity of testing. Absolutely. And we'll talk a bit more about roles and the skills that you need to do those roles after your next song. What's the second song you got today, Paul? So my next song is um, off the, the first Black Sabbath record, also called Black Sabbath, uh, called The Wizard. I'm, I'm a very big Ozzy Osbourne fan, um, have been ever since the first time I heard uh, the very first song that I heard by him, which I, I believe was called I Don't Know. And my mom said, you will never have an Ozzy record in the house. So what I did was I found a Black Sabbath record that just didn't have Ozzy on the cover. And I got that in the house. And one of the songs was The Wizard. It's a it's sort of a unique song, at least to me at the time, because it starts with this harmonic intro, and then there's harmonica solo throughout, and then these these heavy, heavy, sparse guitars, and then this really intricate drumming that, again, a, a lot of the metal bands, you don't see a whole lot of it from, the, from that period of metal band. You see it more from a John Bonham or more from a, uh, a Keith Moon type of person. 
But the lyrics for The Wizard, uh, never talking, just keeps walking, spreading his magic. Anything with magic, whether it's from Ozzy and Sabbath or from Dio or from Rush, any of those things, it always makes me think of my role in automation where people really do think it's magic. This is changing. This is It's good that this is changing. But again, we go back to those expectations that don't align with reality. And they really think sprinkling a little magic dust on, on a tool is going to make you all of a sudden where you don't need testers anymore or you can your testers are going to be 50% more effective because now the tool is doing all this direct work for them and there's no upkeep for it and there's no maintenance and there are no bugs in it there are no bugs in the tool and there are no bugs in the things that that you create I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Jim Hazen, but he has a he has a saying that he likes to throw around a lot that says it's it's automation not automagic and it's absolutely true these things need to be undertaken responsibly with a value mindset that align with your testing goals and therefore your business goals. And I try to help people understand that there there is effort behind this, uh, upfront effort and ongoing effort, and that it's really not magic. So that was Black Sabbath with The Wizard. And we were talking just before that about how automation can be seen as being something magic. And that certainly stakeholders seem to see it that way. It seems that the troops down on the ground seem to feel that way as well. I certainly see a lot of people on Reddit and Slack and forums who seem to think that their career is on the line and that they need to move from so-called manual testing into so-called automated testing. Now, again, we're going to get to semantics there. But do you think that is there still a future for a manual, a so-called manual tester? Someone who could do sort of exploratory analysis of an application? Or is, is everyone going to need to get the skills needed to, to be an automator? So I think everyone needs to have the skills that they need to do their job. And mm-hmm. in some places, in some cases for some technologies, you might need some, quote, automation expertise, some automation skills to be able to do things. Now, remember, my automation definition is quite broad. It's applying technology to help you do your job. So if you are going to write some command line scripts based on fine string and the pipe command and do some other text processing around wget or something like that, I would consider that automation because a computer is now doing something for you that it was not before. But is the notion of the traditional tester, whether you want to use the word manual or tester or whichever sort of vocabulary you uh, you align with, is that going to go away? Uh, I would say not in my career time for sure. Uh, and if my kids get into it, I don't know about their career time simply because there are things that are just not feasible uh, financially at least to automate because it's going to cost you too much to build and or maintain that automation than it will be just to do it yourself, to do it, mm-hmm. to have a human do it. And in other cases, there may be some things that are so non-deterministic that it's, it's not feasible to have a machine do them at all. 
or you're going to get, again, so many false positives or false negatives that a human is going to have to spend so much time investigating and dealing with just the automation results that it would have been a more effective use of the person's time to actually go in and just do it themselves. So I would say that in my lifetime, I would not expect that role to go away. I would expect it to change. I would expect that you might need to have a bit more, oh, for, again, a lack of a better term, automation savvy, mm -hmm. where you can participate in an automation initiative, but not necessarily be the person that's typing the keys for, if, class, method name, all that stuff. There are lots of different ways to participate in an automation initiative. Everything from the key typing to the execution and, 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 uh, and evaluation of the results. And there needn't necessarily be a large skills overhead required to get to that level. I mean, I think of things that I picked up over the years, things like Python that you can pick up in you know, hours of, of learning a very basic syntax that gives you that ability to do those simple tasks like writing a, a simple shell script. I'm talking at Test Bash Philadelphia next week, and one of the things I talk about is what I like to call practical automation. It's things like take two files of a server, perform a diff, and let me look at the results because the computer is really good at doing that automated part of identifying the differences between X and Y. And then the human interface to that can see, are those differences important? Do they matter? Are they desired? It's the two working in harmony. And I think you can get to that level without necessarily needing to learn 14 different languages. You hit the nail right on the head there. You, you picked a particular value proposition that said, it is dumb for me to go through and do all this part with my fingers and my brain and my eyes. I'm going to let a machine do that, and the machine's going to give me these stacks of output or classes of output or, or whatever it is, and then I'm going to go through and check those out and then do anything else I didn't have the computer do, and that was the best use of your time. So I personally consider that automation. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about the value of automation and the problems that can come when automation goes wrong after we hear from your next song. My next song is by a band called Bolt Thrower. They put out a record called For Victory and uh, I believe the early 90s, and it's actually my favorite by them. I'm a bit of a heretic from the Bolt Thrower world. Most people consider War Master to be their best record. I like For Victory a lot, and uh, maybe perhaps it was because it was the first one by them that I heard, but there's a song on there called Lest We Forget. Now, most of the lyrics from the song, and pretty much every song by them, is, is about war and battle and, and other things there. So my focus and my inspiration from this song is not the war part, but the forgetting part. And the thing that most people forget or most organizations forget about automation initiatives, and I mentioned this a little bit before, so my apologies if this is a little bit of a repeat, but that we forget that this is software development. Because even if we're doing drag and drop, copy paste, record and playback, any of those sort of visual WYSIWYG type helpers to help you build a sequence of steps to perform something for you. It's still a sequence of steps. It's running on a computer and therefore somewhere in there, there's some software. So even if you're not typing the fours and the ifs and the, the thens and the tries and catches, you're still sequencing some steps that a computer is going to execute for you and you'll need to maintain those you may get new versions of the tool you may get a new operating system then things behave a little differently there 
your product will probably change because chances are we don't put out the same release twice. So something's going to change, something's going to get added, something's going to get taken away. Uh, we may need to update our automation for that. So we have to build in all of those things that we do for development. We also have to consider them at least for automation because our automation doesn't always have to be as bulletproof as our, our products do. But we need to be sort of in the same ballpark, in the same neighborhood there, simply because if you have crappy automation, you're going to stop trusting it. And when you stop trusting it, you stop running it. And when you stop running it, all the value goes out the window. That was Bolt Thrower with Lest We Forget. And before that, Paul was talking about how it's important to treat your automation just like any other part of software development. And just like any other software, it can have problems. And those problems might be intermittent issues. I sometimes call them flaky tests. And we've all seen our fair share of those over the time. And Paul, you're also talking at Test Bash Philadelphia next week on this same subject. So can you give us an example of somewhere you've seen an intermittent issue that automation has helped to pin down? Absolutely. We had a data center migration we were going through, and what we did was we created a piece of software that's a bit of a, a non-traditional piece of software that would go through and randomly click on menu items and just kind of see if anything happened badly. Um, it's taking some tenants and some pages out of the high-volume automated testing playbook there. And what we found was every now and then we would get a 404 and we couldn't really narrow it down, couldn't narrow it down. It would happen. It wouldn't happen. It would happen. It wouldn't happen. Clearly, it was only happening with automation, which means what? It's an automation problem, right? <laughs> well, suddenly some humans started seeing it. What we did was we eventually added some additional logging to that tool and we were pulling out the name of the server we were hitting. And what we were finding was there was one server in the load balancing pool that wasn't configured correctly. So when we would roll over onto that server, we would have a problem. So here's a place where we did have some intermittent failures, uh, but it was not flaky tests. It was flaky software that was blamed on flaky tests. And then we figured out, oh, wait, these are not flaky tests. The test is doing the right thing. It's horror of horrors doing its job correctly and saying that, hey, we do have an issue in the product. Yeah, that's a really useful way of showing how automation can reproduce a problem because most of our bug tracking softwares will have a status of cannot reproduce, which is kind of a euphemism for I haven't yet worked out the conditions needed to reproduce this. It's It shouldn't be an omission of failure. It should be cannot reproduce means you need to work harder to reproduce it. Yes, and that is actually part of the core of my talk at Test Bash, which this will be my first Test Bash either speaking at or attending. So I'm quite excited about that. I hear so many good things about it. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled, honored, and excited to be able to attend. But yes, that is one of the things that I do talk about during the talk is a, not specifically using the term cannot reproduce, but I know exactly what you're talking about there, but more around the desensitization and the extra work around reproducing intermittent failures. And we'll talk a bit more about finding value in your automation after your fourth song. Uh, my fourth song is by a band called Halloween, uh, planted firmly in the, the power metal range. Uh, again, sort of an Iron Maiden meets Metallica, but uh, sort of the different end of the spectrum than what Iced Earth was. They went through a bunch of different uh, 
permutations of members and different things along the way. And uh, this is considered to be their their classic lineup from their Keeper of the Seven Keys 2 record. And it was their first single, I think, off that record called I Want Out. And the second verse really speaks to me around tool selection. And it's people tell me A and B, tell me how I have to see things that I have seen already clear. And we do get told that, hey, why aren't you using tool X? And I even get told that when I'm in when I'm in an engagement. This is my first consulting gig before I worked as the same role, but just for the company I was actually hired into. And when you're new and you're there, they treat you sort of like a consultant and they want to hear what you have to say and they, they take your ideas. And then a few months down the line, it's sort of like, okay, be quiet, employee, get in line. <laughs> and you'll start getting the questions like, well, why did you use that? Why didn't you use this other thing? Well, when we started, that didn't exist. <laughs> or, or hey, that's great for this other environment that your friend told you about or that this vendor told you about or that you read about in CIO magazine, but that's not appropriate here because we have these other limitations. We have these other considerations that aren't apparent to you, but they're clear to me because I've been spending my time working with this stuff understanding what the context is and working on a solution that is appropriate for the audience, the environment, and for the strategy and goals that we have. And unless you're focusing on those three areas in in this automation realm, you're going to start getting the influence, the external influence, not in a positive way, but in a negative way. Because the external influences and all the information are really good. You don't want to be an outlier just to be an outlier. You want to be in the right place. But if you're an outlier because you're doing something freaky, then that's probably okay. But you do want to know that and keep an eye on that and don't wind up being an outlier just because. So that was I Want Out by Halloween. And before that, Paul was talking about how he consults with many different clients on a day-to-day basis. And I've had some consulting roles in my time and there are good and bad sides to it. One of the great things is you get to work with a variety of different projects, different infrastructures, different environments, and you get that exposure to all those different types of project. One of the problems though, is that you often find yourself having to beat the same drum over and over again as you move from client to client. And one of the problems is actually demonstrating the value of automation because automation automation tends to not demonstrate its value until it finds a problem. And, you know, if, if your automation isn't finding problems, is that demonstrating value? That's a good question. I'm glad you brought that one up. We'll, we'll go to the first part first. How do I engage with the clients? What I like to do is I like to ask them, what problem are they trying to solve? And I don't want to know what testing problem they're trying to solve. I don't want to know what automation problem they're trying to solve. I want to know what business problem they're trying to solve. Are you not getting your software out the door fast enough? Is your defect count too high and therefore your sales are down? What are you really trying to solve? Because in most cases, some automation is going to be beneficial to these teams, but it's the sum. What kind of automation 
is it? What, what is this, the, their definition of some automation? Usually they have something in their head. Oh, we have to automate our regression. Well, do you? Do you even have to automate at all? Are you ready to automate? Is automation the number two thing you should do? Perhaps you have some other things you can do to help solve that first business problem. And then we can come in with the automation to make it even better. Or now that's not your number one problem anymore. You have a number two problem that is now your number one problem. And some technology might be able to help you out with that. But if we get past that, all of that and get down into the, yes, some technology is going to help. Well, let's talk about what you think it's going to do for you. And I'll try to help level set about what it can and cannot, which of those expectations are realistic and which are not, because there's so many unrealistic expectations around automation in, in this discipline and in this, this, this workspace that upfront conversation is absolutely essential so that we can as best as possible or as much as possible get on the same page of these are the types of benefits you should expect to see. Um, these are the ones you will not see or you will not see yet. You'll see these things first and then these other things. Finally, we're going to have enough built in there that you'll start seeing these this, this other set of benefits that you thought were your number one. They weren't really your number one. And we just we work with the we work with the organizations and the people in there to, to level set and, and be all everybody coming from the same place and understanding together a shared understanding of what success looks like and it comes back to your idea of automation being software development because we we develop software to provide value and therefore our automation should be doing the same thing we are developing it for a reason and that reason is to give us a benefit um, i could think of one recent project i worked on where the product manager was really keen for us to put some front-end automation into place just because they thought it was the thing to do and i went with them through the application and said, well, what we've got is a, there's a web browser that drives our front end, but it only makes calls to our backend API. So we've got really good unit tests behind the scenes on the API. And there have never ever been any problems at the, the, web, the web browser level that were critical or that we had to solve. There've been plenty of problems at the API level because we didn't have enough coverage down there. So shall we start there? Because that's where the value lies right now. There you go. Game on. <laughs> And now it's time to talk about your final song, Paul. What's your last song you got for us? My final song is ACDC's Thunderstruck off their, their Razor's Edge album. Uh, the two records before that were, they may have gotten some, some kudos here and there, but by and large, people didn't consider them to be quite up to the usual ACDC standard. But when Razor's Edge came out, people were really back interested in ACDC again, at least my friends and the people around me. Everybody got back interested in them again because it was such a strong record. And the first single off that record is Thunderstruck. It seems like sort of a life on tour story type thing. But one of the lines that really appeals to me is, went through to Texas, yeah, Texas, and we had some fun. So the Texas part appeals to me because I was recruited out of, out of grad school to come and work at a company in Texas called Bell Northern Research, which eventually turned into Nortel. And I was recruited into what I didn't know at the time was a test automation team. And we were doing some really, really hardcore, intricate 
software development because at the time the tools didn't exist to do what we needed to do uh, the telephony inner workings and stuff like that there were there were third-party boxes that you could get but what was happening a lot of times is that the the third parties the developers the testers and the tools people would all get the specs at the same time and we would have to get everything in line to get everything to market before our competitors would so having an in-house automation team doing it for BNR slash Nortel at the time was business-wise very savvy because we were able to compete a lot more quickly that way. So that's how I got the Texas part here. But the fun part is I talk a lot about business and responsibility and not doing this and setting expectations, sort of the drecky part of automation. But I've had a lot of fun doing automation. And it's certainly a career that I would think that people who sort of have a, a testing mindset or a, a sort of an affinity for testing or a, a love of testers even to say that, hey, I, but I still want to do some software development. It's a really good place that you can get in and do some interesting work because it's not all just building Selenium web driver scripts. There are interesting facets that you can get into, especially when you get into what I call the non-traditional automation or automation assist, those things that are not built strictly on test cases where you're building special purpose applications, maybe working in the high volume automated testing space. There's a lot of fun to be had there, a lot of really good career uh, enrichment that you can find there. So that was ACDC with Thunderstruck, a song which gives Paul throwbacks to earlier in his career. And it gives me throwbacks to the Let's Test conference in Sweden where they play a lot of ACDC. And if you look at any of their montage videos on YouTube and on their site, they quite often use Thunderstruck. Uh, so that gives me some very specific memories as well. Now, all five of your songs, Paul, had a very metal background. And you mentioned you've got two four-year-old children. Do you have a game plan for how you're going to wean them onto the metal? Is there like a, a starter guide? Because obviously it's, a lot of it's quite heavy. A lot of it has quite explicit lyrics. Do, do you have a plan of some, some bands that you got to use to get them into it? Uh, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll put the iPod on shuffle and just kind of play it in the background while we're playing upstairs. My wife usually runs on Saturday mornings. Mm. So Saturday mornings, the boys and I, a lot of times we'll have metal morning with dad. Awesome. And we'll either pick a band and we'll listen through or we'll roll through through uh, random. And some stuff they like, some stuff they don't. If I know it's got explicit lyrics or if it's got sort of adult themes that, that uh, like the bolt thrower stuff, we don't listen to bolt thrower. The, they don't need to be learning about wars and battles and, and destruction and stuff just yet. Uh, they've got their own wars and destruction that they put <laughs> together for me. But, you know, it's things that are a little more uh, digestible, what they're beating me up over right now is sweet. Uh, we listen to Sweet a lot, particularly Rebel Rouser and um, and Fox on the Run over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> great band, great songs, yeah. not really metal. Um, a lot of times when we're in the car, I'll put it on the community radio station, and in the mornings they have something they call the Monday or the the morning blender. Well, they'll rotate through all different styles. I mean, you can hear Motorhead and then Stevie Ray Vaughan and then some R&B from 60s Detroit, stuff like that. It'll it'll run through the whole gamut of, of sort of music there. That's been brilliant, Paul. It's been really clear that music is a massive thing in both your family and your work life. And that's been a really good tour through that. And I'm really looking forward to hearing that conference talk that you do next year. So I'll be keeping an eye out for that. And maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll get you back on there at the time uh, to talk us through the songs that you do on that. Outstanding. That sounds good. So I mentioned that Test Bash Philadelphia is coming up next week and that you'll be talking there. Have you got anything else planned for the months to come? I've got a guest lecture at the University of Texas at Dallas on November 17th. Uh, the theme there is automation in the real world. I don't think it's open to the public. I think it's just to the graduate course there. But then I'm also going to be on the Automation Guild, uh, a panel with Megan Lewis, where I believe Joe is going to have some uh, prepared questions for us. And then I think he's actually going to turn it to the, the live participants to ask live questions there. And then, like I said, I've got a couple of bigger things in the works for 2018. Nothing is confirmed yet, so I can't talk about it any more than that. And then, as we talked about, I'm, I'm dying to be at Test Bash Philly, where I'm going to be doing I'm Hunting Sasquatch. And should people want to get in touch with you, for example, on Twitter, where would they go to do that? On Twitter, you can get me um, at P Grizzafi, P G R I Z Z A F F I. And also, you can get me on LinkedIn. And I have a blog. It's called responsibleautomation.wordpress.com. I don't blog often, but uh, I, I do when I can. When I'm on the bench, I blog a lot more. But right now, I'm on a billing client. So my, uh, my free time is a bit, uh, a bit more scarce than it normally is. Totally understandable. And you can find all those links in the show notes where you'll also find a link to our Spotify playlist where you can hear Paul's songs and all the songs of our previous guests and where you can find the form to sign up if you want to be a guest yourself. And if you want to get in touch elsewhere, you can find us on Twitter at Testers Island or you can find all of our episodes at www.testersislanddiscs.com. Thank you very much for listening and thank you very much for being a guest with us, Paul. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, metal and automation, two things that I, uh, I really like and I finally get a chance to meld them together. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Paul, and we'll speak to you all again soon. Bye-bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you in association with the Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Tony Lovich. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island 